Hello, thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Today's scripture lesson is printed there in your order of worship from Mark uh, chapter 6. It'll also be uh, printed on the screens, and so you can follow along that way. If you brought your own Bible, I certainly welcome you to to turn there. I'll just confess, sometimes I bring a Bible with me, sometimes I read it straight off the bulletin. Uh, But whatever works best for you, I invite you to follow along uh, today with these holy words. Beginning in Mark chapter 6, verse 1. He left that place, and he came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. And they said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. He could do no deeds of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. And then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. And he said, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave. And if any place does not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust on your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and they proclaimed that all should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, and cured them. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Yes, God, it is with thanksgiving any time we gather around your holy text. Perhaps these are words that are familiar to us. Perhaps these are words that we need to be reminded of. Either way, we ask that your spirit is at work in our hearing and in our reading, that your spirit is perhaps at work in my sharing so that all of us would have our hearts lifted up and that we would be further centered on your goodness and grace and love in this hour. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before I begin, you know, more more into the sermon, I just wanted to say, I forgot to mention, of course, today is uh, Communion Sunday. It's October already. Wow feels like it's still uh, 2020 or 2019 in some ways, but here we are in October. Uh, And so we still are going to use those little disposable elements, but we'll invite you up, kind of like we did in the old days. Uh, Reverend Chase and I will be on the opposite sides. Uh, And so as you come up, you'll receive your communion uh, that way. So that's just something to be aware of as we move toward uh, the end of the service. Also just want to take a chance to to brag on our bands. I understand both Paragold and Tech placed very highly in the Jonesboro competition yesterday. and, And we have staff for both of those bands up here which means they worked all day yesterday and they were here bright and early this morning uh, to help get ready for worship so we really appreciate them and and appreciate all they do and and certainly our youth and and our community is celebrating them as well 
Whenever I uh, turn to my sort of uh, all-time favorites playlist and whenever I'm listening to music in my office or on the road or driving, uh, there is one particular song that is always at the top. And, and if you went to my Spotify list or my iTunes list and it, and it told you the most songs that are played, uh, it is this song called My Hometown uh, by a guy named Charlie Robinson. Any of you know this song? Charlie Robinson? He's not a super well-known guy. He's kind of a country honky-tonk bar singer, plays in Texas and Nashville. Uh, But it's this wonderful song. It's been around a while, I think maybe since I was in high school or college. And in this song, My Hometown, he sings very uh, romantically about his hometown, right? And he talks about growing up, you can imagine a sort of small town, a rural town, growing up and knowing everyone and going to college and not really feeling like he fit in at college and wanting to go back to his hometown and going back there and sort of making a life for himself. And it's this wonderful song, it's got this wonderful chorus, it says, I'll see you around, I'll see you around my hometown. And he says that over and over again. And as the song goes on, as he says, I'll see you around my hometown, he lists different cities. I'll see you around my hometown in Nashville. I'll see you around my hometown in Dallas or in Houston or whatever the city. And he sings it differently depending on where he's singing it and how he's singing it. And so he paints this really, this really like pastoral scene, right? It's our hometown. It's a place we can go back to, the place we're from, the place where everyone knows us, the place where we feel encouraged and loved. There's this idea that we just want to go home. And that's not one particular place, like it could be a lot of different places. Your hometown is different than my hometown, but they have this sort of common essence and this sort of common encouragement about them, right? I want to go back home, back to where everyone knows me. On the other hand is a song that you may know a little bit better, Bruce Springsteen, a young Bruce Springsteen, uh, singing about his hometown. And if you know Springsteen, he grew up in New Jersey. Uh, He often writes and sings about sort of the realities of New Jersey and the poverty and and dangers that he experienced there, but also this sort of love for it. And so in this song, it's not necessarily romantic. It's a little bit kind of this, this dreadful reality, like, this is my hometown, you know? And he talks about his dad drives him around in the Buick and points out all the parts of the city. He talks about the violence and the poverty, and he even talks about maybe moving away. But then at the end of the song, he has his own child, and he drives that child around, and he tells that child, this is your hometown. Those two songs kind of capture well, I think, maybe the tension that we feel, and even for you this morning, when we say the word hometown, like how does that move in you? Is hometown something that you associate with positive feelings and thoughts, like you want to go back there, you want to be there? Some of you may be in your hometown right now. You may be from here, as Chase was pointing out with the children. Hometown may also be a place that you are glad that you no longer live, right? You've moved on, you've left. There are places that are in your past that are painful experiences, and you sort of want to to put that part behind you. We've been reading in Mark's gospel in these uh, stories in chapter 4 and 5 in particular. We've been reading about the great deeds of Jesus. And these are stories that you know. We read a couple of weeks ago about Jesus calming the storm with the disciples, right? That they're in the, they're in the boat and that they're, they're going across the other side of the sea and the storm comes up and, and Jesus calms the storm and they, and they say, who can, who can do this? Who can control the oceans? And they sort of conclude that only God can do that and Jesus can do that. Wow, so God is at work in Jesus. And then last week we read these, these incredible stories of healing, not only healing, but, but resurrection, Jesus is among a crowd of people, and and the woman who is bleeding touches him, and and he heals her almost by accident. 
And then he goes to the house where the young girl has, has died and he brings her back to life. And so in chapters in 4 and 5, Mark is giving, this, giving us this huge, you know, this Jesus, this major figure. He's calming storms. He's, he's healing unlikely people. He's, he's bringing young women, this young girl back to life. The crowds are gathered around him. Like the story is really picking up. And then in chapter 6, it tells us that Jesus went back home. And in fact, it says he went to his hometown. And so you would think if this sort of hero, this, this person who's been healing and teaching, these stories about him are growing, the crowds are going around him, he comes back to his hometown, like probably they're going to throw a big party for him, right? Like Jesus, one of us, this, this miraculous healer has come back to be among us, to be here with us. We're so excited to have you. Not exactly, right? Each gospel tells this story a little bit differently. In Luke, they're almost violent with him. Here in Mark, it's a little bit more passive. But, but in all the stories, Jesus goes back to his hometown, and, and he goes to the temple to teach, as one would do if you were a religious leader. And so he's teaching in the temple, and they say, wow, this guy's pretty smart. Uh, did, you, did, you, did you hear it when I was reading it just a minute ago? They say, like, where, where, did, he learn to, where did he learn to do this? Wow. And he heals people, too? Huh. Isn't he Mary's son? Isn't he a carpenter? Like, don't we know his brothers and sisters? Don't they, like, live here among us? And just incredibly quickly, all the energy and hope and joy that had been gathered around Jesus in chapters 4 and 5, the healing and the teaching and the miracles, he goes home, and that joy really, really quickly turns to sort of cynicism and judgment. Did you catch that? And in fact, Mark says that they were offended by him. Who is this guy to come back here and to tell us and to teach and to heal? This is just Mary's son. This is just a carpenter. Who does he think he is? There's a number of books I was reading this week, commentaries, preparing for the sermon, and one particular, uh, one particular writer described this scene using this phrase that I, I loved it so much. It said, uh, the hindrance of over-familiarity, the hindrance of over-familiarity. And so in this case, those people who know Jesus best, the people who helped change Jesus' diapers, the people who learned, uh, who were working around Jesus and his family as Jesus was learning to walk and to talk, the people who saw Jesus grow up as a young child and as a teenager, the people who really know Jesus, like really know him, are the most unimpressed. It's just Jesus. Just Jesus. Like, what is he doing here? Why does he think he needs to impress us with this healing and with this teaching? He's just a carpenter. Like, we know who he really is. What is this show all about? The hindrance of over-familiarity. And when I read that phrase, it sort of, it sort of gripped me. And it gripped me in a, in a sort of personal way. Because when I think about over-familiarity, people who are really familiar with Jesus... I kind of think about us and me. Like we're the sort of people who have spent a lot of time with Jesus. These stories that we're reading in Mark's gospel, there are very few of them that I could read that you don't already know. Like you know Jesus, you know that he heals and you know that he teaches, you know that he was raised from the dead. And so we kind of have this shared over familiarity. Here it is. It's another Jesus story. It's another moment where Jesus does something miraculous. And there's something about having the kind of overfamiliarity that leads to this, this sort of self-righteousness, right? 
Like, we know Jesus better than Jesus knows Jesus, right? Like, we know what Jesus should do and could do and would do. We've been around Jesus for a long time. We, we kind of know better. And so instead of having a sense of celebration and praise, we kind of end up with a sense of, of doubt and cynicism. At least I'm speaking for myself. That the more we're around Jesus, the, the less we're surprised by Jesus, then the more we kind of put ourselves in the seat in the place of judgment. And so I think many of us, particularly if you've been at church for a long time, we often kind of function like Jesus' hometown. Here's Jesus again. Another, another thing. Here he is teaching, healing, another miracle. Oh boy, here he goes. All right. We know Jesus quite well. Now, if there are lots of songs about your hometown and leaving your hometown, coming back to your hometown, uh, there are just as many songs about going on a journey. Uh, my children have been singing this song, Willie Nelson, On the Road Again, incessantly, right? Do you think they know it from listening to Willie Nelson? No. Where do they know it from? Any takers? Shrek. Donkey. On the road again. I just can't wait to get back on the road again. He sings this over and over again. Shrek and Donkey as they're on their journey. So my kids know it from watching Donkey sing it to Shrek. Of course, I know it and many of you know it from Willie Nelson and many of his uh, co-workers and writers and singers. On the road again. And so we have a lot of songs like this, right? This, this, kind of, this kind of burning desire to be out there and to be doing something, right? Not to go home, not to be in my hometown, not to rest and take it easy, but to be on the road again, to be, in a, to be involved, to be called out to something exciting. Uh, I was thinking about uh, Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf. You know that one? Doing a motor running, head out on the highway. You with me? This kind of desire, like, I got to go. I got to go do something. I got to do something different. Uh, Johnny Cash, of course, sing, uh, I've been everywhere, right? I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere. I've got to keep going, keep doing something different. Notice how this story in, in the first part of Mark 6 just changes instantly. Jesus goes to his hometown. They're not super impressed with him. They're a little bit annoyed with him. And so what does Jesus do? He leaves. Like he doesn't argue with them. He doesn't barter with them. He doesn't sort of talk it out with them. He doesn't have a Bible study with them. He's sort of this shrug. It's like, well, okay. So Jesus just went on to other villages. This sort of indifference in Jesus' spirit is kind of encouraging. And not only does Jesus leave and go on to other villages, but he begins to recruit and to train his disciples, who we're now going to call apostles, to do the same thing. So in Mark 4 and 5, people are amazed at who Jesus is and about his teaching and about his healing. And then in Mark 6... People are disappointed and frustrated with Jesus. And so Jesus' response to that is, we'll just keep going. And so Jesus recruits his disciples who are now apostles, and he says that he's going to send them out, and he's going to give them authority to do healing and to do teaching and to, and to work with unclean spirits. And he sends them out in a particular way. Did you notice what he told them? He told them to go out in what? Two by two. Right? To go out two by two. And what did he tell them to take with them? Nothing, right? He gathers his apostles and he says, go out two by two and don't take anything with you. Now, when you hear the phrase two by two in the Bible, what do you think of? Noah's Ark, right? Uh, think about that, right? In the Ark, Noah is gathering in the, the, the animals two by two to sort of protect them, right, from the flood. And here, Jesus is sending them out two by two to protect them, not to gather them in, to protect them so that they can go out on their journey, right? So he sends them out in pairs, 
And he tells them, do not take anything with you. So I want to think a little bit about why Jesus says that. Well, one thing that that seems obvious is that we are reliant upon many, many resources to do quality ministry these days. We need good buildings like we have here. We need technological capabilities, screens and sound. We now stream. I mean, it's incredible how different church is than it was 20 years ago, right? And the more the resources are available, the more the church learns to use them. That's just kind of how it works. And that's particularly in the Protestant church, the American church, we're always trying to grab that next thing and put it to use. Uh, Even bounce houses, right? Bounce houses are very appropriate and helpful for Wednesday night, and so we'll use those too. Interestingly enough, though, when Jesus begins this ministry of sending the disciples out, he tells them just to go with somebody else and to take nothing with them. Now, that's a pretty significant challenge to the way that we often think about ministry. Like, we often think about ministry like, what do we need? All right, what books do we need? What screens do we need? What music do we need? What staff do we need? Like, what do we got to get to make this thing happen? And Jesus says, like, all you need is just somebody else to go with you. All right? You can just go with somebody else and that'll be plenty. Which I think is a pretty radical thing to think, right? Like, like our greatest asset in ministry, our greatest asset in life, are not all of these awesome resources that we've accumulated, but our greatest asset in ministry and in life is, is one another. Like the best thing we have in the church, I want you to hear this really clearly, the best thing we have in the church is each other. It's better than our buildings, it's better than our screens, it's better than our cameras, it's better than all those resources that we collect. Like the people sitting with you in the row beside you, your family, your friends, the people who go to Bible, school, Bible study and Sunday school with you, I guess the best thing we got, right? Those other things may be helpful, but Jesus says you just need to go out with somebody else. The other thing, of course, is that Jesus tells them essentially to go out in poverty, right? Don't take a bag, don't take any money. Just assume that when you get out there in the wild that there are going to be people out there to take care of you. There are going to be people that let you come into their home and they're going to share food with you. Just go out and trust that God will provide. Pretty radical view of ministry, right? And it becomes its own sort of testimony that these early apostles, they believe in Jesus so strongly that they will go on these missions with no resources at all, right? And so that becomes its own sort of testimony because they can say to people, like, look what God has done for us. Look how God provides for us. Like, we're doing this thing. Surely you can believe in Jesus too. It's only a few verses here, but in Mark 6, like, Jesus casts this wonderfully challenging vision of ministry Essentially saying, like, you don't need many things. You shouldn't take much with you. You don't need a lot of resources. You don't need a lot of money. You don't need a lot of food. You don't need, you don't need, you don't need. All you need is someone else. Just go and and do the thing. Uh, I think I've told you all before because it was such a uh, defining moment in my life. Um, Jill and I took the kids to Disney World a few years ago, right? And we strategically went around Edith's birthday. It was kind of a birthday for her. We also strategically went while Holden was still free, Yes, you understand? I don't know how old he was, under two or under three, but we didn't have to pay for him, right? So that was really why we squeezed that trip in right then, right? That also meant that both kids still needed uh, car seats, and not like the little car seats, like the full-on, you know, big car seats. And so we took both car seats with us on the plane to Florida and brought them back. Have any of you done this before? Yes, some of you? 
Oh, my Lord, so much work. When I say that was a defining week for me, it wasn't because I saw the kingdom and saw the, saw the characters. It was because I lifted weights all week, right, carrying all those car seats and that luggage. We were so painfully slow getting in and out of the car, loading up those carts, trying to get in and out of the airport, trying to get things checked at the gate. It was a very, very long week, right? Uh, we were anything but nimble. Compare that scene, right, the, the things that it takes for just me and my family to go on a trip. Compare that scene to what Jesus is talking about with the disciples. He's saying, don't take anything with you. In other words, don't let anything slow you down. Don't let anything slow you down. Just go, go, go. Just take your sandals, take your staff and go. Don't be held back by any proverbial baggage. And I think we could take that a little bit further. I mean, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a metaphor. It may be about the actual baggage. It may be about the actual car seats. But I think it's more about sort of like your life, you know? Like Jesus is saying, you need to go and you need to be responsive to God and you need to be in this mission with God. And you don't need to let this baggage sort of hold you back. Now that sort of strikes home with me too because my life is so very full right now. As things have opened and reopened, as kids' activities have picked up, like if you opened our family calendar and the church calendar, you would be hard-pressed to find a day or a weekend that's not pretty well booked for the next six or eight weeks. Which means that if Jesus were to call me tomorrow and say, Dane, I've got something really important for you to do. I need you to go out of town on Wednesday and take care of X, Y, and Z. What would I have to tell Jesus? Sorry, I'm busy. Right? And so our lives, not necessarily bad things, but our lives kind of become filled with all these things, all these commitments, these extracurriculars, these activities, these out-of-town trips. And once our lives are just kind of full, and Jesus says, hey, I need you to go. I need you to volunteer. I need you to respond. I need you to help. I need you to, our response is like, ah, I'm a little uh, booked this week, Jesus. Can we schedule it out maybe eight or ten weeks in advance? That would be better for me. So Jesus has this vision in mind that all we need is each other and we just need to go wherever God calls us, whenever God calls us. As we worship this morning and as I'm thinking about my life of faith and about our church, we have been, we have been blessed, but we've also been challenged because all of us in this room, we've been born into this incredibly robust culture of comfortable Christianity. Did you get all those C's there? We've been born into a culture of comfortable Christianity. That's just the, the church we were born into. It's the church I was born into. And compared to other parts of the world and other times in history, we might even say our church is affluent. Our church is wealthy. We have so many resources. And even sometimes, because of that, we may be a little complacent. Like we're really familiar with Jesus. We've been worshiping Jesus for a while. We know all the Jesus stories. We got great church. We got buildings. We got resources. And my sense is that like our biggest challenge and maybe my biggest challenge is just boredom. We know Jesus. We know the stories. We know church. He's just kind of been here a while. We're just kind of apathetic. This sort of hometown experience that Jesus has. We know better. We know what God's up to. We know how Jesus works in the world. We're rarely surprised or caught off guard by something new that Jesus is doing. But we're reminded in this, in this vision that Jesus offers for the apostles that that's not really the Christianity 
that Jesus had in mind. It's great that we were born into a church. It's great that we have wonderful resources. It's great that we know Jesus well and we're familiar with him. But at the same time, Jesus sort of imagines these disciples, these apostles, even you here today, that would be ready to go on a mission, on a journey. They'd be ready to, to cut loose from your baggage or from your calendar. They would respond and follow Jesus out into the wilds of Greene County, serving him wherever he sends you. In Mark 6, we kind of have these opposing responses to Jesus. One is this kind of hometown boredom and cynicism. We, we know it. We get the drill. Jesus, we know, yada, yada. And the other is this exciting response to life in the wild, to life on the road, following Jesus into surprising new and strange places. I am hoping to be a part of the second one. And I'm hoping you want to be a part of the second one as well. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks for the lives of those faithful disciples and apostles who came before us. Wow, what, what strength, what bravery that they were willing and able to follow you into new and strange places in ministry. God, we have been recipients of their good work for so many years now, even as we worship in this church this morning. Holy God, help us to not grow bored. Help us to not grow bored of your good news and of your surprising work in the world. Make us nimble and capable and willing to follow you, even at a moment's notice. These things, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparagold.org. May God bless you this week.